Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, we've been in the middle of a sermon series on spiritual disciplines. And uh, we've been talking about these as practices that help us practically grow in our walk with God. And so last week we talked about community and fellowship, and we're going to continue uh, talking about community here this morning. But we've looked at these other disciplines such as prayer and Bible reading, studying the Bible, fasting, praise and worship, uh, all of these different practices that are designed when we implement them consistently to help us grow closer to God. How many of you guys want to grow closer to Jesus? Awesome. Uh, All of you that didn't raise your hand, I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to take particular note this morning. Uh, I believe Jesus is pretty good, and I believe uh, we should want to know him, and we should want to know him intimately and grow closer to him. Amen? Amen? And so I've said this a number of times when we've been talking about disciplines, these spiritual disciplines, these different practices. And my desire as a pastor is not that you would rack up like super prayer points. It's not that you go fill out stand sheet and you fill up like 14 time slots all at like 2 a.m. in order to get the Christian points plus package. And you're just really good at that. Or My goal as a pastor is not just to be like, man, you know, my guys, they are awesome fasters. Like they fast better than anybody else. And that's just not the mentality. That's not the heart behind this teaching. These practices, we've said it a few times, are means to an end. They're simply things that we want to implement that we, uh, that if we implement them, that we will know God better and we'll be closer to him. The end is a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. Because how many of you guys know there are plenty of people in churches, even in churches consistently, that do not have healthy relationships with their Savior? And that breaks my heart that people can come to churches. They can be uh, even somewhat involved on a consistent basis even and still miss out on authentic relationship with the Lord. And so this is something I want you to take note of because we're talking about community. We're talking about fellowship. and, And an aspect of that is going to and being involved in church. That's going to be a big thing that we're talking about today. It's what we talked about last week. We're going to continue that conversation. But I want it to be clear here is that you can be involved in church and you can be involved in every aspect of the church and still not have healthy, authentic relationship with the Lord. And I I, I say that because being involved and being consistent is not the equivalent of good like healthy Christianity, but it is a part of it. And uh, I just want to make that statement before we jump into this, because I don't want to confuse the two. Um, I believe that to be involved is something that is desperately needed, but don't let your involvement, don't let your attendance to a a Bible-believing church cover up the fact that you spend zero time with them throughout the week. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. And so our goal, our aim here at Open Door Church, our main desire is to present you as mature believers 
Um, there's genuine desire on our part to fulfill the command of Jesus that's found in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It's the charge of Jesus to his followers where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is the key, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That is our desire. That is our goal. That is our reason for being here as a church is we want to make disciples. We love baptism. We love that initiation, but it is also our responsibility to teach the things that Jesus taught. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about today. I have very little interest in getting you to recite a prayer or, you know, to self-identify as a Christian or if you're filling out a census, you know, to check the box. Because if I'm being honest, it's 2023. You can identify as whatever you want. <laughs> I have a good friend. Uh, he was actually uh, here. He uh, served as an intern at this church. Many of you guys remember Drew. Uh, he would often tell this story of a coworker that he had in Portland, Oregon, that identified as a chicken. Not in a satirical sort of way, but this, this girl that he worked with, uh, it was FedEx or UPS, it was one of those shipping companies, uh, literally had to get like some kind of like special clearance and uh, whatnot from the company because she identified as a bird. That seems ridiculous, right? But it's seeming less ridiculous compared to some of the things I'm reading on the news these days. Um, <laughs> I'm saying all this because that wasn't supposed to be satire or anything. That was just straight up crazy. But the same is true for Christianity today. There are plenty of people that are nominal in their faith, meaning that it's, uh, they're Christians in name only, or they think that they're a Christian, therefore they must be a Christian. And the reality of it is, is it's not about what you think. It's not about your perception of where you are with God. It's about his perception of where you are with him. And that's exactly what is important. You see, uh, Jesus even warns us about these people that think that they're going to be okay with God, but they're really not. He warns us in Matthew chapter 7, and these are some of the most sobering verses found in the scriptures. These are the words of Jesus uh, in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, it's not so much about what you think about your faith or even what I uh, think about your Christianity. At the end of the day, the most important questions we can ever ask or do I know God and does he know me? Amen. To know and to be known by Jesus is the greatest measure of success that we can achieve. And it's the only thing that ultimately matters in this life. Everything else, and I mean everything, falls second to this truth. Do you know God and does he know you? And so... What does this have to do with spiritual disciplines? What does this have to do with prayer and fasting and, and what we're talking about today in light of community? Friends, I believe spiritual disciplines, I believe these things, when put into practice, are the avenue by which we get to know God. It's how we get connected to the vine. It's how we bear much fruit. And it's the foundational building blocks of intimacy with God. 
these disciplines, these practices, when implemented consistently, are the avenue for knowing God intimately. And I believe they're most effective when they're practiced in community with other believers. And so that's what we're highlighting uh, this week because it's what we highlighted last week and we didn't quite get to the culmination and the finishing of that idea. And so uh, we're going to continue talking about uh, community and fellowship this morning. I'm excited to draw some things out of the scriptures. You see, it's this idea that our faith is not a merely personal, private journey. I believe it's the intention of the Lord that other people actually play a part in our spiritual development. And as much as we would like to combat against that, and as much as we'd like to, uh, you know, rear up and say, you know what, no, it is about me and God, uh, God actually cares about our relationship with other people quite a bit. Scripture speaks, speaks uh, quite fervently towards this matter. You see, our relationship with others is an important aspect of our relationship with him. And we kind of looked at some of this when we looked at Hebrews chapter 10 last week. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 24 and go through verse 25. And this is just a little bit of where we were um, to kind of set the stage for where we're going. But Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 says this, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And uh, we talked a little bit about this not just being about church attendance, even though there's an aspect of that that's found in these verses, but we talked about more about being involved in intentional community in fellowship with other believers because we don't get the kind of godly community that Jesus wants from his people simply by showing up on Sunday morning for two hours a week, right? We understand that. I was so encouraged to hear so many different people after my sermon last Sunday decided to go out and get lunch with one another. That was pretty rad. People even invited me to lunch, and I was the guy that had to say no because my kids were melting down, uh, and it felt a little backwards because I had just admonished everybody, go to lunch with somebody, and then somebody invited me to lunch, and I was like, no, I don't think I will. Um, I, we have a teething toddler, okay? <laughs> There's, yeah, anyway, I was going to make a terrible joke that was probably blasphemous, so I'm going to stop, listen to the Holy Spirit, turn on that filter and get back to my notes, but we need each other. I need you, and as much as we, you may not like this, you do need me. And I'm not talking about just like Pastor Nate hat here. I'm talking about as a brother and sister in Christ, we need one another. Even more so as we see the return of Jesus drawing nearer. This is a reality that we've talked quite a bit here at Open Door Church about is that there is a real end in mind, that God really is coming back. And he really is coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. And as we look forward to that day approaching, which we're closer now than any other day in history, uh, we should be more intentional. We should experience the urgency of the Holy Spirit as we think about the things of God and what the author of Hebrews tells us here is as that day approaches, 
the reality of that day coming soon, how much more intentional should we be about gathering in community in stirring up one another to love and good works, to exhorting one another and actually being intentional about community? Hebrews chapter 3, same author, same guy that wrote these words in Hebrews chapter 10, had similar things to say to the exact same audience just a few chapters before. And that's where we're going to hang out this morning. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 if you want to turn there. And so um, more so than what we're going to look into just today in this sermon, Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 10 have a lot of overlap and parallels that I think is just fascinating. I actually preached on this uh, a number of uh, years ago, I believe, and I just encourage you to kind of look at them side by side, and I think they're, they're pretty fascinating, pretty interesting, but we're going to look primarily at uh, three verses uh, in Hebrews chapter 3, and that's uh, verses 12 through 15. I'm going to read this. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 16 years old. Um, It was actually right before my 16th birthday, if I want to get technical. And the youth group I attended was called 1063. It was the youth ministry of Pueblo Christian Center. Uh, And it was wild. I often think about uh, the youth group that I attended as kind of being the litmus test or like the measuring point for uh, like what effective youth ministry should look like. Um, I mean, it had everything that you would want from a youth group. I think any church would be stoked to have 1063, that youth group, as their youth ministry. You know, it was full of teenagers. God was moving. The word was being preached. There was fun. There was games. It was wild. Some of the best stories that I have come from my time of just a few years in this youth ministry. Some of my best God stories, some of my best running from the cop stories, all of these different things kind of culminated into an excellent high school experience where I was chasing after Jesus. And um, I say that because it was a great youth ministry. Pastor Josh Richardson was my youth pastor. He's the man that led me to the Lord. Um, he's the senior pastor at Public Christian Center now. We have some friends from there. Um, I'm stoked about that. Welcome, guys. We're going to have a, a women's conference coming up in a, just a few weeks with Pueblo Christian Center coming here, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, all of that is fun stuff. Uh, but what I'm saying here is that I had a great youth pastor. I had a great youth ministry. And there were hundreds of kids on Wednesday nights that would gather and hear these powerful testimonies of who God was and encounter the gospel message and and there'd be tears and the music would be good and the games would be fun. It was an incredible environment. And there were hundreds of kids that were involved in this environment that were hearing the genuine gospel preached. And I look back on that time where there were hundreds of my peers from schools all across the community. And uh, I'm friends with people on Facebook. Does anybody have this thing uh, that happens uh, with friends on social media? You look back from like 10 to 15 years ago and people, their names have changed and you have no idea who these people are and how you're friends with them. 
Um, that happens to me sometimes. I have all these friends from high school that I don't remember, uh, but it was a thing. It was a time. And so many of these people, and I'm not talking, they weren't necessarily close friends, but we were in the same circle, are not following Jesus today. And a lot of those same kids that I was in church with quickly fell away once youth group ended. You know, they graduated high school and they just never got connected with the local church. And I say this because as awesome as our youth group was, as amazing as our youth pastor was, as an incredible ministry as it was, I look back on so much of the missed opportunity where people had encountered the Lord but never continued steadfastly in it. And so I I know that there's more than uh, just this that plays into it, but I can honestly attribute uh, my continued pursuit of Jesus to being consistently connected with the local church. And I say that because Nate, Nate Ward's faith is really weak. My, my, my faith is not this like demonstratively large, like just incredible, like, man, that is the man of the hour kind of faith. It's pretty weak, but it's been sustained, it's been encouraged, and it's grown in the context of the local church. And I I'm here today. I'm still in the room. I'm still following and serving Jesus because of the people that I've been surrounded with in the context of the local church. And uh, I just firmly believe, um, I firmly believe that there is something connecting and grounding about being connected with the body of Christ in intentional community, not just going to church, but being involved intentionally in the life of the church beyond just what's sanctioned and and a meeting that might take place on a Sunday morning or even on a Wednesday night, but being intentionally involved. And I'm still here. um, And the only way that I'm going to stay here is by staying connected to the body. I want to finish well when it comes to loving Jesus. I want 60, 70 years from now, to to when I hear, well done, my good and faithful servant from the Lord, I want to still be loving and passionate about the local church. And I believe that the only way that I get there is by staying connected and by staying involved. And so I I say that because out of the hundreds of kids that were consistent on a Wednesday night where God really moved, there was a good handful of us that were engaged on a Sunday morning at the, at the church at Pueblo Christian Center. There maybe have been 20 or 30 of us. Uh, I, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm poor with numbers here, but there was a good handful of us. We'd sit in the front right of the church. I don't know if the youth group still does that, but we'd sit in the front right front of the church and we'd take up all of these rows. And there was a group of us that were just consistent about being engaged in a church that wasn't geared towards us. The music didn't sound like the music that I like to listen to. The people were different than the kind of people that I would hang out with. In fact, my first Sunday morning coming to the church, I wore cut-off shorts, and I had shoes that had holes in them, and I had some band T-shirt on, and I had hair that covered my face, and I got berated by an older lady who uh, was upset with me for coming into the house of God uh, dress the way that I was. And thankfully the pastor heard it. It, was, it just wasn't my scene. 
But I believe staying committed and consistent in a place that even wasn't geared towards me really set me up for success in my relationship with God. And I want to encourage you, friends, stay connected, stay consistent, stay engaged with the body of Christ because it's in that place that I believe that our relationship with God can flourish. Now, there's plenty of people, there's plenty of people that come and sit and attend a church that don't have healthy relationships with God. I'll be the first to admit that. But I do not believe that there is a person that can have a healthy relationship with God that is not consistent and connected to the body of Christ. I'd say that cautiously. I know that there are cases and examples where there are people that are dying for their faith in other countries where there isn't a believer for miles. I understand that there are, there are places in the world where it's legal to be a Christian. There are people that are in prison cells for the gospel right now. I'm not saying that they can't love the Lord and the Holy Spirit doesn't give grace for that, but the Holy Spirit does give grace for us here in our context by giving us the gift of the body of Christ. And if we neglect that, if we neglect the gift of community that God has given us, that's like spitting in his face. And so pardon me if you tell me that you and God are good, but you just can't be a part of the church. Because he died for his bride. He died for his church. And that's not me up here on some kind of like, oh yeah, we're the best stuff, we're hot stuff. No, no. But I do believe God's passion and his heartbeat is for his bride and it's for his church. And it's something that we need to, to be really intentional about. And so as I say that, I was talking about us kids that would sit on these front rows and we were involved in the church and we were involved in prayer meetings and we were involved in Bible studies and discipleship classes. Can I tell you from that generation, I was, that was like two or three years of my life. And collectively with the rest of us, almost every single one of us that were consistent on a Sunday morning are now in full-time ministry somewhere. My good friend Mason's a missionary in Thailand. My, my good friend Tony's a, a pastor at Pueblo Christian Center. Our friend Ariel's a worship leader and a missionary. I, I, I think about all of us from that time frame where we were just, we weren't setting out to be kind of ministers. We weren't setting out to start our own churches or anything like that. We just wanted to love Jesus. And I'm fortunate that I had such a community of brothers and sisters. There was the odd girl in there that... Uh, <laughs> wow, that sounded terrible. That's not what I meant. The majority of us were just guys. That's, uh, but uh, God really moved in that season of my life. And I developed just a, a profound passion for the community of God and the importance of the local church. And you guys are here. You're in a church on a Sunday morning. I realize that. You, you're probably tracking with me. You're probably in agreement with me. I just don't want us to take what we have for granted. And I don't want us to fall into the lie that us sitting in one of these chairs constitutes being a part of the bride of Christ. I love that you're here, and I want to champion that, and I want to celebrate that, and I want to give you high fives. I love it when we come to church, but like we talked about last week, community is more than that. It's got to be more than just attendance. It's got to be involvement, but it even moves past involvement into something deeper. 
And so I said this already, but I want my faith to stand the test of time. And in order to do that, I need other people. I need you guys. I want to still be believing in the promises of God at the end of my life, just like I am right now. And I want to hold fast until the end. That's language that the author of Hebrews uses both here in uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and what we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 10. It's this idea of clinging to what is true, of holding tightly to the faith. Hebrews 10.23, this is the verse preceding what we were studying last week, says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Here in Hebrews 3, just a a few verses earlier in verse 6, it says, um, but Christ as a son over his own house, speaking here, that if we're to be in Jesus's house, um, we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, there's something about endurance here. There's something about holding tightly and finishing this thing out. And so I want to look at Hebrews chapter 3, and very quickly, I'm going to highlight five things uh, about community that I believe biblical, intentional community will promote. And they're essential to our ability to hold fast, to finish the race, to to come out at the other end of this life, (laughs) still professing the goodness of God, still professing love for his son and a passion for his bride. And I believe that they're all proven most effective only in the context of community. So Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12. I'm going to read this again. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Hebrews 3.12. The very first words in this, kind of, uh, in this verse here are, Beware, brethren. And I want to say this, that community promotes awareness. I believe that when we're living in intentional community with the bride of Christ, that there's a certain awareness that takes place. To be aware means to be alert, to be on the lookout, to watch out for one another, to be on guard against unbelief. You see, we all have blind spots. We all have areas of our life that we're not really good at examining ourselves, but man, you might have a friend, you may have a spouse, probably a spouse, uh, but you may have a, a brother or a sister in the faith that can look and tell when something is not right with you, right? Anybody have a friend like that? Maybe it's a sibling. The same is true for us spiritually in the context of community. Um, we need to watch out for one another. We need to be on guard. We need to look out for each other's blind spots, This is why it's so important to have friends that we can trust who have our best interest in mind. I use this language and I've expressed it before, but I have a friend named Daniel McLean and I've had this conversation with Adam. We talk about giving our friends keys to our life, saying, you know what, man, there's not a door that you can't access. There's not a door you can't open. There's not a question you can't ask because I know that those guys have my back. I never have to question if Daniel or Adam ask me something that it's intended to hurt me. I know that they only want what's best for me and my relationship with the Lord. 
And it's good to have friends and people like that in your life that are willing to ask you difficult questions, to ask you how you're really doing and what's really going on because that's how we get to a place of spiritual health. Does that make sense? This whole idea of awareness, um, to be aware, to be alert, um, you can... You can hide an addiction from people. You guys understand that, right? There's plenty of people that do it on a pretty consistent basis. I think so many people like isolation because we can hide what's wrong. And we don't actually want to come into community because then it requires us to be vulnerable and actually deal with our junk. But can I tell you, if we're going to live in intentional community, the junk is going to be dealt with. And that's a good thing. It's kind of like, does anybody here hate going to the doctor because you know the doctor is going to tell you to change things about your life because there's something wrong, right? I don't really want to go to the doctor and he's going to tell me you need to eat more vegetables and stop eating donuts. And I was like, yeah, I know that, but I just don't want to, I don't want to come to terms with that. I don't want to be exposed to that. Guys, when we live in community, we can't hide all of the things that are wrong all of the things that we're struggling with. And God never intended for that to happen. That's why he says, that's why scripture will talk about us bearing one another's burdens, about us being there and helping one another along. But I love, well, I don't necessarily think I I love this verse. It's actually pretty heavy and intense. And (laughs) it's it's sobering where it says, uh, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. that's like heavy language, right? That's intentional from the author. That's intentional from the Holy Spirit here. And I I, want to be clear that unbelief, friends, is sin. Unbelief is not simply the inability to understand, but it's an unwillingness to trust. And I, I think I've probably been guilty of the past where I've been like, man, just, you know, tell God all of your doubts. Like, be honest with your doubts. That, that's one thing. But if it ever festers into a place of not believing who God is and what he said to be true, friends, I believe it is sin. And I believe that that's why there is clear, intentional, hard language here talking about an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. And so as I was processing this, I went to go read what others had said about this passage of scripture. And I really liked what David Guzik said. He said this, one can truly believe God, yet be occasionally troubled by doubt. There is a doubt that wants God's promise, but is weak in faith at the moment. Unbelief isn't weakness of faith. It sets itself in opposition to faith. And so what we're talking about, there, there are moments of doubt. There are moments of questioning, but we can't stay in those places. We need to wrestle with them and bring them to the Lord. Otherwise, we do see unbelief begin to fester. And the eventual uh, culmination of that is a departure from the living God. You see, unbelief is an affront to God's character. It's essentially calling God a liar, a name reserved for Satan himself, right? We see unbelief and sin equally are deceitful because when we don't believe God, it's not that we don't stop believing, right? This is where we sing journey, right? Boom, no. Uh, (laughs) 
It's just that we start believing in a lie instead. I believe that to stay in a place of belief, it requires us to be aware. It requires us to be in community. And that serves as a prime catalyst or applying, uh, maybe catalyst wasn't the right word, but I believe community is a perfect environment for us to combat unbelief, especially in a day and age where deconstruction is the popular lingo that's being thrown around, where it's the popular thing to just take everything that you've ever thought or known to be true about God and throw it into a dumpster and, you know what, say, I'm going to start fresh. I'm okay with us uh, maturing in faith and recognizing the need for us to come to the Lord and work things out. But I don't want to give us a license to doubt God. Does that make sense? Okay. So the first thing that I wanted to highlight was that community promotes awareness. But beyond that, uh, community promotes consistency. I think that there's something to be said about this. I know I've used this example multiple times, and I've not got back to the gym But uh, when I was working out with other people, I was pretty good at being in shape and doing the whole like physical fitness thing and getting up at 5 a.m. and going to the gym and lifting weights. And um, when I'm not in community and I'm not doing that with other people, I've not been very good at that (laughs) if I'm just being honest. But I read this in verse 13. It says, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, to exhort means to encourage firmly. And I think I've actually been guilty of encouraging people too gently sometimes because I don't want them to be offended. I don't want them to take my advice or my encouragement the wrong way. So I'll just kind of like casually place it in a conversation. But the command is for us to exhort one another to encourage one another firmly, to be intentional about the things that we say and our encouragement towards one another. But I I think it's crazy when I was reading this, and I don't know how I haven't grasped this before, but it doesn't just say to exhort one another. It says to exhort one another daily. Daily. That means every day. Did you guys know that? You guys think I'm smart now? Because I can explain something like the word daily. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I know that you guys have heard this and I've said it and I've reiterated myself, but Sunday cannot be the lone expression of our faith. We need daily encouragement with other believers. Daily. And I think that's pretty wild and I don't know how that fits into our 21st century schedule and how, how to exactly do that on a, on a daily consistent basis, but we're trying to figure it out. I read things like Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. And so get this, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple. The the NLT will talk about them going to the temple to worship daily and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily 
those who were being saved. You see, this idea of following Jesus exists so much beyond just something that we attend or something that we do on a weekend. Following Jesus is a lifelong, uh, everyday commitment that we're invited into. And it speaks here as though we're supposed to have interaction, where we're to exhort one another, where we're to break bread together, where we're to worship together daily. I'm not saying here that we need to all just quit our jobs, join a commune, and start a cult. That's, that's not what I'm getting at. And I'll be honest, I look at my schedule, much as you're thinking of me standing up here right now, thinking about all the stuff that you've got going on, if you've got kids in school, between sports practice and work and all these different things, something like this command to exhort one another daily can be intimidating. You might think of our church calendar and how we meet on Tuesday nights, how we meet on Wednesday nights and Thursday nights and Friday nights and, and all these different things and be like, does Pastor Nate expect me to show up to all this stuff? And the, the answer is no, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't show up to everything that we do. <laughs> I want to be honest. This is where it moves beyond just sanctioned events and you know, the things that the church plans, but being invested and involved with each other's lives on a consistent basis. And so... I'm still trying to figure out what daily exhortation needs to look like in our context. But I do know this. It's much more than the time we have together on Sunday from 10 a.m. to noon. Can we agree on that? You guys understand what I'm saying. I want you guys to be released from the lie that you don't have anything to offer the household of God. Some of you come into this place thinking that, you know what, I am coming to church to listen to pastor. I'm coming to church to sing some songs. I'm coming to church to receive. And I've expressed it the last few weeks. Um, But we need you to come up. We need you to be here. We need you to be a part of your churches back home. We need you to be a part of the church with the expectation that you have something uniquely crafted by God to offer up that body of believers. And whether that be a word of exhortation, if that's some sort of encouragement, if that's some sort of uh, uh, word from the Lord, I want you to have this mindset that when you walk through the doors of your church, that you're there for a purpose, you're there for a reason. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's just a kind gesture to share with someone else, but I want you to have the mentality that God wants to use you in your context of community. And so... Um, I want to make this note. It's important for us to come with the mentality of having something to give, um, especially when it comes to exhortation, when it comes to encouraging one another. Some of us are really good about encouraging people and exhorting other people, and then some of us are not, but some of us are also really bad at receiving encouragement and receiving exhortation and receiving uh, correction sometimes. Um, And I just want to encourage us, let's not be those kind of people. Let's not be the kind of people that blow off encouragement. Let's not be the kind of people that even when that encouragement comes firmly in in the kind of mode of correction, let's have a desire to receive it well. Does that make sense? There's nothing on earth that I despise more than an unteachable person. There are people that I encounter on a consistent basis 
that know everything, that have everything figured out, and you can't teach them anything for the, if your life depended on it. Does that make sense? They, they struggle with correction, all of these things, and I, I so would desire for us to be people that receive exhortation, that would receive encouragement, that would receive, receive correction well. I think of David, right? He, he would say this in Psalm 141, verse 5. He says, let a righteous man strike me. It shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Friends, I believe that there needs to be something about us that actually wants correction, that wants, uh, that wants this kind of exhortation that we're talking about here. Because I believe it is impossibly, it's impossibly, words, it is impossible to biblically exhort outside of community. And I wrote this, why? Because it becomes hostile when it's removed from the context of a healthy, caring community. Genuine concern within community is a natural safeguard against the judgmental, holier-than-thou attitude of the disconnected Bible thumper. And why is that the case? Because we're all after the same thing. It's not to be better than one another. It's not to be holier than one another. It's that we would all strive together to be more like Christ. I also believe, very quickly, I'm almost done here, but that community promotes urgency. A common theme throughout uh, Hebrews chapter 3 is this language that, that is reiterated about it being today. But verse 13 says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. It's talking about living in the moment, living in the hour, living in the sense of urgency. You see, the Holy Spirit is not prompting us to get right with God tomorrow or to trust in the security of yesterday's experience. It's an urgent message to not delay. That's where we've been in Hebrews chapter 10, the last few, uh, or the, at least the last week, where it says, again, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of son, as is, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There's this idea of urgency that is, that is developed when we're living in community. And the fourth thing I wanted to highlight, I believe that community promotes authenticity. I'm using this word authenticity because I, I believe it to best fit as a counter to what we read here in verse uh, 13 in regarding the deceitfulness of sin, where it says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Church people, I believe, are some of the best deceivers that I know, right? Walk into any church on Sunday morning, People greet each other and it's like, oh, how are you doing, brother? How are you doing, sister? And we're quick to put on a smile and give you our thumbs up because nothing can be wrong, right? Because we're Christians. <laughs> and that's why community has to run deeper than what we get to experience for a few hours on a Sunday morning. I've talked about 
bearing with one another with burdens, about having intentional conversations of really delving into what's wrong. But I believe that community needs to provide a safe place for sin to be dealt with. We talk about this deceitfulness of sin. I almost wrote a, morning, a message for this morning on confession as a spiritual discipline instead. And I uh, was just kind of exploring this idea of confession. And uh, we here at Open Door Church, we're a Protestant church, I guess, by definition. Uh, we're not a, meaning that we're not Catholic. And I think many of people kind of associate this idea of confession or this discipline of confession as more of a Catholic doctrine. And so by default, they feel like we don't really believe in confession in a church that's not Catholic, or maybe you've kind of had this mentality. And the truth is, um, we don't agree with confessing our sins to a priest um, or having to go to a confessional or something like that in order to receive forgiveness. However, I do want to be clear, I strongly believe that the spiritual discipline of confession is a vital part to our growth as a Christian and that uh, the, discipline of con- the discipline of confession needs to be something that is active on a daily basis in each and every one of our lives. And I think sometimes we might take the road as like, yeah, we need to confess our sins to the Lord so that he'll forgive us, right? That's great. You do need to do that. Um, but there's also biblical precedent for us to confess our sins to one another. And I believe that this only happens in the safe place of community. What we're talking about, community being a safe place, right? Uh, Before being a place um, where we can exhort one another in the same place. I believe community needs to be a safe place for us to confess our struggles and to confess our sin so that it can be dealt with. James 5.16 tells us this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And talk about the earnest prayer of a righteous man having great power and producing wonderful results. Confession is a powerful way to combat the deceitfulness of sin. Sin's entrapping power over you is often found in its secrecy, but when it's exposed, when secret sin is brought into the light, it's able to be dealt with and therefore loses its power and its hold over you. I think that that is something that is so important for us to have intentional community with one another. When I'm talking about community, I'm talking about having relationship with other people in the church, (laughs) other believers that you can come to with the heavy, the deep stuff. Now, we're not going to have that same kind of communal relationship with everybody in the church or the whole church uh, on the face of the planet, but I do believe that there is something to be had for us to be intentionally vulnerable with one another and I believe a part of that can pr- promote, um, a part of that needs to be confession. And so community promotes authenticity. And all of these things have kind of stemmed from the same place of a desire of finishing well is what I've talked about. But I do believe that community promotes and fosters longevity. And I've already kind of said that multiple times is that the the household of God and living in intentional community is the only way that we finish well. It's the only way that 50, 60 years from now, some of us will still be at the table and still be in the house of God. And I I, I read Hebrews 3.14. It says, we have come to share in Christ. 
if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. That's how it reads in the NIV. And so it talks about this, this need for, for holding on and holding fast to the end. That's how we share in Christ. And it's this continued imagery of holding fast. It's this idea of finishing well. I want this to be clear. More important than how you started, even more important than where you are right now with your relationship and walk with God is how you finish. A lot of us had rocky starts. I don't know. I, I had a pretty rocky start when I encountered the Lord. I was sacrificing goats and we were making, you know, we were in the occult and all kinds of crazy stuff. That's not when I, that's not how I encountered Jesus. I realized the way that that came out was probably confusing for you. I was involved in the occult and was as far away from loving Jesus as I could possibly imagine when I encountered Jesus at 15 years of age. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm so thankful for that. But for me to have a powerful transformation and get to where I am right now, and yeah, I love Jesus, but if I don't finish well, it means nothing. Does that make sense? The, the awesome testimony and the redemptive power of God to take me out of darkness into marvelous light. And if I just kind of fizzle out and I don't hold firm and steadfast to the end, it doesn't mean anything anymore. And maybe you had a great start. Maybe you've had some ups and downs. Friends, if you don't finish well, we're missing the point because it was never supposed to be about how we started. It's always been about us finishing well. And that's why it's a gradual upward trajectory of us loving Jesus more each and every day. So I would love for you to live intentionally with the mindset of finishing well, of loving Jesus well through the very end. I've said it once, but I want to say it again. I want to make sure I'm hearing the Lord say, well done on that day. I want to be like Paul. We'd say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I have kept the faith. I think a practical way for us to do this. It's not the only way. There is still a personal aspect of your relationship with God that's important but I believe it's best equipped and sustained in the context of intentional community, which extends beyond just coming to church on Sunday mornings. So what does that look like practically? The early church we read about in Acts 2, they would break bread in each other's homes. I love the fact that so many people uh, shared lunch last week. I love the fact that people are inviting each other over to each other's homes to share in a meal to really get to know one another. Uh, I'd encourage you, keep doing that. I also want to give some practical outlets for you that we have as a church. Uh, we have small groups, life groups as we're calling them, that we would encourage you to get involved with if you're not involved in a life group. Uh, on Tuesday nights, we have Deeper Project where we study the Bible together and guess what? We share a meal together. And if you're lucky, uh, or not if you're lucky, <laughs> if you want to, <laughs> uh, we share board games after the fact. <laughs> and we're still friends even at the end of the night for the most part. 
just, just throwing it out there. It's something that I think is practical, accessible for most people. And you're like, oh, Tuesday nights, I got something going on. Wednesday nights, we gather together and pray for one another here in this building. You're like, oh, man, I've got something going on Wednesday night. I can't do that. Well, guess what? On Thursdays, we have the Jesus Cafe, which meets at 5 o'clock, right, uh, downtown. And guess what? They have food, right? Because it's not fellowship if there's no food is what we've determined. And then on Friday nights, for the married people, we do gather... Uh, that's at six o'clock up at the parsonage here where we're sharing and trying to do this thing of community well. I'm not going to pretend that I have this whole thing figured out. We don't have all of the answers. Um, but I do know this is that I want intentional, meaning relation, meaningful relationships with other believers from a part of this church where we get to, where we get to explore maybe some of the harder things where we can share burdens that we don't have the opportunity or privilege just to, to kind of uh, share with everybody here in the context of this room. And I know that it's important. And you might be sitting here saying, you know what, none of those nights work for me, or I don't really want any of that. Maybe you want to start a life group. Come talk to me. We can make one happen. We can, we can, we can, we can figure it out, friends. Um, but I just want to, again... I want us to emphasize the value of the relationships that God has gifted us through his church and through his bride and be intentional about not isolating ourselves and isolating our families into our own little bubble because God designed us to work better together. Does that make sense? Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.